for the glory of God and for the edification of his people. If you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be finishing up this wonderful book, this sacred book, this epistle from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. We're going to be reading starting in verse 10, so please do stand when you have that scripture. Hear ye this morning the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might upon the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in that evil day, having all uh, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. You may be seated. Father, I do pray a blessing over the preaching of your word. Lord, use a weak servant uh, to bring forward this powerful message of faith, life, redemption, forgiveness of sins, and the redemption that came through Jesus Christ onto the glory of the Father. May the Spirit work in our hearts as we hear this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brethren, it's been several months since I've had the privilege of being your pastor, also the privilege of bringing forth this beautiful text of scripture. Probably my favorite book in all of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. And it's usually joked around amongst pastors as a pastor's favorite book, especially of their Calvinists, because there's so many wonderful, beautiful truths that come so uh, mightily through the pages of Ephesians. And I want to, if possible, to tie this whole beautiful book together in this final message from the book of Ephesians so that we may be able to grasp and comprehend the length, the breadth, and the height of God's love and the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. My hope is that in today's message, you will see the grand theme not only of the book of Ephesians, but I hope also the theme of the Bible come alive to you. Namely this, the uniting of all things in heaven and on earth under the principal head of Jesus Christ. Truth is, beloved, that all things in heaven and on earth belong to God. 
You belong to God. Your children belong to God. Your job belongs to God. Your money belongs to God. Your vehicle that brought you here this morning belongs to God. Everything that you have, the breath in your lungs, the ability to speak, or in my case, hardly to speak, comes from God. Everything is from Him. To Him and from Him are all things, Scripture says. Therefore, we must not forget this important truth that all things belonging to God, yet in this state in which we are in, there are things that we observe, that we see with our eyes and with our life experience that have not yet come under the full lordship of Jesus Christ. And I will explain what I mean by that in a moment. But before I even get there, I want you to examine the, 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 the last few words of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now, this remember from earlier sermons, the church in, in Ephesus was a mar marvelous work. Matter of fact, this church that was likely started by the Apostle Paul, um, that was well supported by the other Christian brothers and sisters around the, uh, the empire at this time, and Ephesus was a, was a major trade route and a major economic powerhouse at that time, this church would go on, even past Paul's life, to continue to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. So much so that we see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 as Christ addresses the seven churches of Asia Minor. He brings up Ephesus and commends them for their faith and vibrancy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the words that Paul preached, the words that he delivered through this epistle, left a mark on this people, left an imprint on them. And my hope is as we, go th as we have gone through this book, as you have heard the word of God preached to you, that the closing words and even all of the words that we have, yet, we have uh, so far examined will be a blessing to you, that it will stick with you, that it would empower you to be faithful to Jesus Christ well past the time that we have spent in the text. That it would be an anchor for us to persevere, to put on that whole armor of God, to be a people, a peculiar people, known for love and good works. Paul says this in verse 19. He says, And also for me that the words may be given to me, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Let's not forget Paul's situation, Paul's predicament in this letter as he's writing it or dictating it, sending it to the church in Ephesus, this is a man who, though in chains, though imprisoned, none of those things could stop him from boldly proclaiming what he believed. Church, regardless of your circumstances in life, regardless of your economic situation, your physical limitations, regardless of where you may find yourself in season in life, Know and proclaim this, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Will you be able to proclaim that even as Paul did in chains? He could not stop and he would not stop from boldly proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. 
So if you're following along today's teaching, please write this. Even chains cannot stop Paul from boldly proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. Now this idea of a mystery is, it pervades the entire letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Notice that, uh, I want you to examine with me the, the, the kind of the background of the church in Ephesus. This is a church in Asia Minor, kind of what would be modern day Turkey. And this church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. They had a lot of Gentiles, but you also had Jews in the mix. And in this point in redemptive history, you had these two people groups who were oftentimes pit against each other, who were oftentimes opposed to one another. Very similar to the history that we have in America with people who are white and people who are black. There's this tension that has been in our culture, that has been in our society. And the same was true back then amongst the Jews and the Gentile world. And Paul, writing to this church that is made up of Jews and Gentiles, he speaks to them boldly about the mystery. Now, what is this mystery? What mystery is Paul referring to here? Well, Paul's referring to the sacred mystery of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is a man who was bold about it. He would not stop preaching and teaching. If you can, turn to Acts chapter 28 for a moment. Before Paul's imprisonment, we read this report at the end of the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 28, in the closing verses, verse 30 and 31, where the Lord says he lived there, this is regarding Paul, <clears throat> two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with what? Boldness and without hindrance. Boldness and without hindrance. These are two things that we must examine in our own lives. Are we bold when it comes to our personal declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do we just, like every other, or most churches do, most Christians do, they come to church to hear the gospel, and they pay a preacher to preach the gospel, but then they're not preaching the gospel. Well, friends, may I challenge you? May I tell you a truth that may make you a bit uncomfortable this morning? It's not just the preacher's job to preach the gospel, it's your job too. It's your job. It's your responsibility. This good news isn't just to be preached by the hands of a few, but by the hands of many. This good news isn't just for the mouth of the preacher to declare, but instead, Jesus Christ has called you all to be preachers and heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, every single Christian who has come under the lordship of Jesus, who has been filled with the Holy Ghost, has been called to be a minister of the marvelous works of God. This is part of the mystery, beloved. You have a responsibility. May you fall after the example of Paul, who, who went boldly, without hindrance, preaching the gospel. What does that mean to do something without hindrance? It means that regardless of the obstacles in life, in the way, he could not be stopped. He could not be stopped. <clears throat> several years ago, around this time actually, uh, when I lived in Connecticut, I went with a brother 
in the Lord, and we would go out ministering, and we would just pick really random places. We ended up once at a room. We, we noticed that there were a lot of cars parked outside of a Roman Catholic church. So we went to the Roman Catholic church, and they were teaching catechism. And so I was like, great, we're waiting for them to come out, and we'll start talking to them. And so when they came out, we started preaching the gospel to them, and the priest came out, and, and he was kind of rude. And I, I guess I don't blame him. Here's these two Protestant, you know, guys trying to preach the gospel to his congregants who just came out of catechism. And, uh, and he came up to us. He got right in our face. He's like, listen, you can't, I'm not going to say the word, but it was graphic. He says, you can't BS a BSer. That's what he said. And I was taken aback by that. And I said, you know what, this guy needs Jesus too, obviously. So I started preaching the gospel of him. Later on that same night, actually, we decided, you know, let's go to the park. And we saw this group of, uh, of uh, adult, uh, adult males uh, having a baseball game. And, uh, and afterwards, we decided to engage them in, in the gospel conversation. And they're all drinking beers. And they're being profane. And they're dropping, literally throwing beer cans at our feet. And about over a course of an hour talking to these folks, um, they would catch each other when one person would swear, like, hey, hey, don't say that in front of the guys. Or they started picking up the beer cans. They started to change the way they were behaving because of the light of the gospel that was being preached to them. You see, in life circumstances, you'll be thrown maybe different curveballs. Maybe you'll be put in situations that are not ideal. But every opportunity that the Lord opens in your life, may you use it to his glory to advance the message of the kingdom, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's at a baseball game, whether it's at a Roman Catholic church, whether it's at Walmart, whether it's at your school or at your work, wherever it is that you find people, may you find opportunity to share this good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. May you find these opportunities. Because we can be one of two churches. We can be a church that opens our doors and hopes and prays that people find us. Or we can be a church that opens our doors so we may go out those doors and find the people who need Jesus. What church would we be? What kind of people will we be as disciples, as Christians, as those who follow Jesus? I pray and hope that we will be a church that will follow after the example of the Apostle Paul, who with all boldness and without hindrance declared the mystery of this incredible gospel. And this gospel is so powerful, so wonderful, so beautiful, that we should not hold it uh, uh, ransom, that we shouldn't put it under a basket, but instead we should be a city on a hill, shining that light of Jesus Christ to men, women, and children everywhere. So church, here's the, here's the call. Be a witness of Jesus Christ. Be a witness of the mystery of the gospel and proclaim it boldly as Paul did so faithfully and as Paul so beautifully declared it in this text of scripture in Ephesians. I want you to examine with me for a moment. Let's look at a, a, the, the, a thematic overview of the book of Ephesians so that we will not forget but instead that we will hold fast to the word that has been brought to us. There's a mystery here and it's a sacred mystery. It's a wonderful mystery. And the mystery of the gospel is how God is uniting all things under Jesus Christ. Here's the mystery. All things belong to God, yet not all things have yet been solely subject to God. 
because of sin, because of the corruption of Adam and the corruption that we've uh, inherited and also engaged in, the world is not as it should be. The world is filled with crime, with murder, with sin, selfishness, deceit, wickedness of all sorts. The world is in chaos. There's wars, rumors of wars. There's pestilence, pandemics. There is nation rising up against nation. There's issues amongst uh, people groups and tensions in the culture. And there is a cooling off of the love of many. All things prophesied by our Lord Jesus Christ. The world is far from perfect. But God is at work in bringing all things together under the proper headship of his Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Let us examine the theme of the mystery of God and how it's unfolded through the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul says that God making known to us the mystery, there's that word again, of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan. Here's the plan. Here's the good news. God has a plan and that plan will come to fruition. And that plan is this, for the fullness of time, that's the appointed day and time that God has ordained in heaven and in eternity past, to unite all things in him, the him, the subject being Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Here's the theme of the book of Ephesians. Arguably the theme of the Bible. How God is bringing all things under the lordship and headship of King Jesus. That's his plan. And that's the mystery. Now this is incredible because God has revealed to us his mystery, his plan to bring all things in heaven and on earth under the principal head of all things, even Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior and Lord. But it goes on to say in chapter 3, if you can turn there, we get more insight into this mystery. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery, there's that word again, of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, here's the mystery, folks, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you're following along today's teaching, the mystery of the gospel is how God is uniting all things under Jesus Christ, starting with Jews and Gentiles. Here's insight into God's plan, insight into God's mystery, how he's uniting all things. And he begins by healing the divisions and the racial tensions and wounds of two people groups, Jews and Gentiles. Remember Gentile in 
the simple Greek word, which means nations. So there's the chosen people of God, there's Jacob, Israel, and then there is the nations of the world. And if you remember anything about redemptive history in the book, uh, in the first, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, you see that God made a covenant with Abraham, and he promised Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars. He promised them a land and a people that would then go in turn to bless the nations, that through Israel, through this promised seed, all the nations would be blessed. That was God's covenant, his promise to Abraham. And yet, the nations came under the administration of the sons of God. They became corrupt. We see this come at a, at a, at a breaking point in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel, when the nations gather in opposition against the Lord, and then the Lord scatters the nations across the surf, surface of the earth. But then, he chooses for himself a people, a particular people, the nation of Israel. And then they go into slavery, and God delivers them from slavery and brings them to the land that was promised to them, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of promise, and a land of blessing. Yet Israel, though blessed with the covenants of the patriarchs, was not able to hold to the promise and the steadfast love of their God, Yahweh. Instead, they forsook the loving kindness of God. They forsook the God of creation and began to worship created things, even things carved with human hands. And because of their failures and their immorality and because of their spiritual apostasy, God turned his attention to the nations by bringing forth his son, Jesus Christ, born in the fullness of time, born of the virgin, to live a holy and perfect life, to live the life that you and I could not live, holy, perfect, and blameless, never sinned, and yet he died the death that we deserved as criminals, as a sinner was treated, was spat on, was disrespected, was wounded, and then was pierced on a Roman crucifix, on a Roman cross. And yet God did not turn his heart away from his son, but he raised him from the dead on the third day, demonstrating that this Jesus is the Lord of life. And that this Jesus, who said of the Jewish people and of those whom he would include in the fold of Abraham, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and they too I will bring in, and I will make them one people, one head. This is what we find in Scripture to be the truth that God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, brings forth reconciliation between Jew and Gentile in that that which, not, which once distinguished them now becomes indistinguishable in Jesus Christ. It's not no longer about the outward circumcision, but it's about the circumcision of the heart. It's not about he who is a physical seed of Abraham, but rather who is a descendant of the true seed of Abraham, namely Jesus Christ. And we become spiritual descendants of this Christ through faith and repentance in his name. This is the mystery, how God has brought together two people groups, showing that if God can bring together two people groups, he will bring all things eventually under his headship and lordship. Even the nations and the world and the cosmos will be under the dominion of King Jesus. This is the mystery. 
of this wonderful, excellent gospel that we believe, that we hold, that we hear, and that we confess. And this has application for us today, beloved. We live in a world that's divided. We live in a world that's uh, so much tension, whether it's around ethnic lines, socioeconomic lines, regardless of, of, of what the world says and you know, uh, the cancel culture that's out there and exists. Beloved, let us love one another. What separates and marks Christians or what ought to separate and mark Christians is not our head knowledge, which granted as Reformed Christians, as Reformed Baptists, we tend to do pretty well in that area. We tend to know a lot. But beloved, may I ask you, do you love a lot? Does the amount of knowledge that you have meet and match and even exceed the love that you show towards the saints and even those who don't know Jesus? Because they, don't, they won't know you by what you know. They'll know you by your love. They'll know you by your love. I went to a visit once with uh, a mentor of mine to, um, to visit someone in our first church. And uh, this person was having a particular struggle. And this struggle, and, I, and so I, I started researching and I had all this stuff and I had like, you know, like 10 pages of research ready. And so beforehand, I meet with my mentor. We're going to go visit this person. And, uh, uh, and, 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 I'm, and I'm saying, look at, look at all the research I've done. I'm gonna, you know, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to really show this brother the error of his ways. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, this is my mentor, he says, Brian, you don't get it, do you? I said, what do you mean? I, I did all the research. Of course I get it. I, I've got it all here. I'm prepared. And he's like, he's like, Brian, you don't get it. They don't care how much you know. They care about how much you care and how much you love. And at that moment, I, get, I got it. I said, okay, I get it. I get it. We can often rely too heavily on what we know. We have to remember that knowledge is a servant to love. That we use our knowledge in order to serve and in order to love better. Not to beat people over the head of it, which is a nice thing that Christians are known for sometimes, being Bible thumpers. We don't just thump through the Bible, but we're able to you know, drop these Bibles on people's heads. That's not going to get them saved. That's not going to get them to, to know Jesus, but rather, it's the love. And I love how Paul knits all these things together by reminding us in his final greeting what is the most important aspect of the Christian life, namely love. Notice what he says in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 6. So that you may also know that I am how I am and what I am doing, Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. <clears throat> if you're following the law, Paul emphasizes the importance of faithful ministers like Tychus, whom he sent for their encouragement. Tychus was a man who was sent by Paul. We see him in other places in Scripture. We don't have much information about him, but we know that Paul sends him in Acts chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. We see him again addressed in 2 Timothy 4.12. So he was a faithful minister. 
He was a person who faithfully loved the saints, who served alongside the Apostle Paul, who was a man of integrity, who was a man of love. And the whole purpose of Paul uh, informing the Ephesian church, he's like, listen, I'm in chains. I can't come to you. He doesn't know if he'll be able to see them again. But he says, the next best thing I can do is send you this man. This man who's a faithful minister, a beloved brother in the Lord. And he'll tell you everything you need to know. And he's going to do so with the purpose of encouraging your hearts. Encouraging your hearts. Beloved, I know that we live in discouraging times. There's often times in our lives where we face trials and tribulations and we're just discouraged and we're in need of encouragement. Beloved, I hope and pray that this is a church where you find encouragement. Where when we come together on service, it isn't just to fulfill a religious duty, but instead, or, or an obligation, it is those things, but I want it to be more than just those things. This is a place where you come and you can be encouraged that the discouragement of your life can begin to melt away under the preaching of the word of God. That you receive this soothing balm for your soul through the gospel of peace. The very gospel that we are to put on as part of the, uh, the armor of God. And yet, my hope is also that as your pastor and as long, alongside the other pastors here, that we serve and faith, faithfully minister to you unto your encouragement. An encouragement to do good works. An encouragement to be obedient to the gospel call. An encouragement to live lives worthy of the call that you've received. And that throughout the week, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until we meet again on the, on the Lord's Day on Sunday, that we have the strength necessary to, to, to live out the calling to which we've been called. And that's exactly Paul's heart towards the church. That's his heart towards the people of God in this context. He wants them to be encouraged, not discouraged. Because without encouragement, it's hard to live this Christian walk in life. Now, that's why, brethren, it is declared in God's word that we are to meet together often that we are to gather as often as we can so that we do not grow weary or do not grow discouraged. Because the world that we live in is wicked. If you have a secular job and you work amongst secular people, if you notice the way they talk, it's not the way we ought to talk often. What their interests are don't always align with what our interests are. And therefore, as we are in a world where we are totally outnumbered, it's important that we meet together as often as we can to incite one another to good and fine works. And most importantly, to incite each other in love. And that's the theme that Paul closes with. In verse 23, he says, Peace be to the brothers, that's the shalom, the shalom of God, the peace of God, the peace of God that he sells elsewhere to the church in Philippi that surpasses all understanding. It's that peace that only God can grant. Maybe you've had a time in your life where you experienced that peace. Maybe you were in a difficult time. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost someone you loved dearly, and yet you had this overwhelming sense of peace, peace that cannot be purchased, 
a peace that cannot be robbed, and a peace that is enduring. And that's the peace of God. That's the peace that God gives. And it's the peace that he declares over the brothers, over the brethren, over the church. And he does so by saying this, peace be to the brothers, shalom and love, agape. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This benediction reflects the theme of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. That which he wants to close with are the things that he has emphasized throughout this entire letter. Namely, first and foremost, peace. Again, it's the peace of God. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. To me, what a marvelous statement that is from Philippians 4. This peace that surpasses understanding. I don't even think I quite understand that. I don't think I quite understand the incredible depth of that statement. That there exists a peace, a calm in the middle of the storm that surpasses what I'm able to understand and comprehend. It's amazing. It reminds me of the story where Jesus is indeed on that boat, going over the lake, over the sea, and the storm rages, and the disciples are all freaking out, and they're terrified, and they're scared. And what's Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. And it isn't until these guys wake him up that he gets up, and what does he do? He calms the storm. You see, what's the marvelous thing about our faith It's not that life will be devoid of storms. Not that life will be devoid of trials or turbulence or tribulation or difficulty. But rather, when the storms of life are raging, we have in our possession a sure anchor for our soul. Namely, the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ. Do you rely on this gracious Prince of Peace? When the storms are raging around you, know that the one who is in you can calm the storms of life. He'll grant you that peace. The shalom of God will come over you so you may know the agape love that he has towards you. And he has this love and this peace towards you in Jesus Christ. So marvelous is this benediction. Peace be to the brothers with love and love with faith with faith. There's this peace, there's this love, this love that that also anchors us. This love that is beyond comprehension. Brethren, do you recognize the grandeur of God's love? I don't think you do. I don't. I can't even begin to drink from that fount of how incredible His love is towards us. In Christ, so much so that he would send forth his son in the fullness of time to die for you, a sinner, and a wretched one at that. Not just a small little sinner, but but a terrible sinner. And that he would die for me. I can't fathom such love. I can't fathom such a thing that God would die for me. But alas, that's the love of God. It's this love that is able to transfer us from death to life. 
It's this love which is able to motivate us to good and fine works. It's this love that changes us. Just like when, if you ever had the privilege of falling in love, that privilege of falling in love, you, you recognize that once you meet this person and you fall in love with them, nothing's the same. Nothing's the same again. And then when you're away from them, or if something bad happens in a relationship, you, there, there's literally a physical reaction in your life to it. You can't eat, you can't drink, you can't sleep. Everything changes. Brethren, so much more ought the, lo- ought the, the, the love of God change your hearts. So much more should God's love affect us that we are truly changed from the inside out. So great is God's love for us. And so little can we actually comprehend of the depths of the riches of his grace and love and kindness towards us in his son Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul also mentions this love but also this faith. This faith is love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot devoid love from faith because we love because he first loved us. And he who first loved us has transferred us from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's love working through faith. Does your love and does your faith align with the principles of the gospel? Because namely this, the most important thing for us to recognize is that love and faith are gifts from the Almighty. They're gifts to you and me. If we don't, we don't, we've never come to know true love until we've met true love in Jesus. And when we've met true love in Jesus, we also meet true faith, namely faithfulness, because God is faithful. God is faithful. I don't know what you're going through this morning. Maybe you've had a great week. Maybe you've had a terrible week. Maybe you had a difficult morning getting the kids here. Maybe you had a difficult car ride here. Maybe you're having a difficulty even hearing this message this morning. I don't know what your struggles are. But I do know that there's love and faith available for you in Jesus. And if you're faithful, remember that he is faithful and just. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But not only forgive us our sins, but to empower us by means of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to live renewed lives after the image of Christ. This love and faith are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All these beautiful things, love, peace, faith, all come from the fountain and the source of such even God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He then says in verse 24, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. This is actually a very different, often uh, kind of a shorter benediction than what Paul usually gives. But I think he sums up the letter that he wrote to the brothers in Ephesus. And namely in verse 24 where he says, grace be 
with all who love our Lord. Grace. It's grace. If there's one word I can pull from the book of Ephesians to describe this book, it'd be that one right there. It'd be grace. Because part of the mystery of the gospel is God's amazing grace. It's this grace that saves us from spiritual depth and depravity. It's this grace that transfers us into sonship. It's this grace that transfers us into light. And it's this grace that will sustain us and sustain the church until he returns. Grace is what we found and grace is what will carry us home. And brothers and sisters, we're almost home. We're almost there. Our salvation is nearer now than it was then. Do not lose heart. Do not faint. Do not grow weary. Pursue the grace that surpasses understanding, the peace that surpasses understanding, the love that surpasses understanding. Pursue it in Jesus Christ. Following along, the benediction reflects the theme of this epistle, namely peace, love, faith, and grace. And grace. Paul focuses much on grace in Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to turn there if you can. We read this also in our Sunday school. But in Ephesians chapter 2, we're reminded of the riches of God in verse 4. After being called wretched sons of corruption and of wrath, God says in verse 4 through the Apostle Paul, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. You see the love of God at work. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. There's the hope. There's the promise. So then the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Here we see the riches of our, of our Reformation history. Even now as we're in a historic time, uh, we're remembering in October, in October 31st, Reformation Day, and we're reminded of the great uh, works theological works and truths that were uncovered from the errors of Rome, chiefly in this one. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace. It's by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not by any merit. It's not by any work. It's not by anything that you've accomplished. But it's all by the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. For it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, here lies the great distinction between the reformers and everyone else who teaches another path of salvation. Ours, as Charles Spurgeon once said, is the only position that, they can, that can declare emphatically without any reservation that salvation is of the Lord. Totally of the Lord. Not of man, not of works, not a combination of the two. It is totally a work of God. And it's by grace. It's in his kindness. 
It's in his mercy. It's in the great depths of his love for us that he saved us. He is the Savior. We are the ones who become benefactors of the saving work of Jesus. We receive this great salvation through faith in him. And it is grace that saves us and grace that again will sustain us until the end. My word to you, brethren, is stay firm in the grace of God. To you who are here in our midst, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've not ever made a declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches and tells us this. It is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. We are all, as humans, part of the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten people will die. We are all in that boat. We are all in that category. And we will all, one day, stand before our maker. And know this. You will have to make an account and give an account to him, to the one who made all things, the one who made you, and the one who seated you in this place today so that you may hear this word and hear this message. And God calls you now to repent of your sins. That's a turning from sin. Not just not liking your sin, but turning from it. And then looking to the cross of Jesus recognizing that in the cross of Jesus, he has provided all that we need for salvation. And that it is only but by the grace and the gift of God that we can approach that marvelous cross. And when we come to that cross, we recognize that we're a sinner, that we're in need of a Savior, and that only Jesus and his blood can save. Truly, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. May you learn today the beauty and the majesty of the rock of ages. And may you come to him, not to be tossed to and fro by the winds of life, but instead, the rock, there'll be anchor for your soul. May you know him today, and may he sustain you to the end. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Tender Father of mercies, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this grace that you have lavished on us. Though undeserving we may be, you did so according to the counsel of thy good pleasure and will, and that you are working all things out to unite all things under the sovereign headship of Jesus Christ. May we today willingly, receptively come under the headship of Jesus and be changed, transformed in the renewal of our minds. That we may taste and see even this afternoon that you are good and that your mercies endure forever. Help us, O oh God, in our weakness to be strong and to find our strength only in you. Help us to run away from all other worldly pursuits and flee from all sorts of things that will carry us away from the rock of ages. Oh, Lord, bless us, Lord. Watch over us. Grant us your peace. Grant us your grace. Grant us your love with all faith and perseverance. 
and may you sustain us to the very end unto the glory of your Son, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to close together in psalm before we enter into the time of observance of the Lord's table. And the song that we're going to be singing together will be found in the back of your bulletin. The name of it is to the praise of his glorious grace. This is a song that we introduced to you at the beginning of the sermon series. And it's a song that I thought would be appropriate to close our time together in the book of Ephesians. So that we remember that God is uniting all things under the headship of Christ. And namely, he's doing it to the glorious praise of his grace. Would you please stand with us as we close in that glorious song?